The following program is brought to you by the Western Cape Government. Better together. And that's the night surgery, of course. And with me, I have our resident doctor, none other than Professor Kala. Prof, salam alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. How are you today, sir? Alhamdulillah. How are you this Alhamdulillah. evening? Alhamdulillah. Mashallah. Welcome back. Thank you very much. Uh, it's been a short <laughs> break, but uh, yes, indeed. You're back with us again. Professor, this evening, of course, we're talking about general medical questions. I have the, told the listeners that we have you in, so they know it's general medical question. SMSs are starting to come in. The number 47913. 47913. And uh, you do know there are three things that's very important that Professor and all the doctors I've had thus far in the studio always insist on. The gender, the age, and the weight. All right, so inshallah. And uh, as if I may, I see here something about a five-year-old, but I don't see anything about the weight. And maybe the weight will be an important one on that one as well. So if you, uh, the person that sent us the question about the five-year-old with the sweaty underarms, if you'd like to send, maybe tell us what the weight is. I'm just saying, maybe that would be important for, for, for yes. a professor. So the number, 47913. 47913, that is, of course, the SMS line. And then, if you'd like to uh, call us, the number is 021-442-3530. Professor, something that uh, I was thinking about and I thought I'd need to ask you this. You know, normally they say, and please don't laugh at me now. <laughs> don't don't, don't, you, don't laugh at me. <laughs> normally they say when a person behaves in a certain way that he's got that kind of blood in him. All right? If uh, uh, they see uh, Professor Kala acting in a certain way, no, that's, that's the, the Kala blood in him. Now, uh, why I'm saying that is... Does blood transfusion actually affect people's behavior? Okay, that's a fascinating question, Joseph. Thank you, sir. <laughs> and I don't know if there's any research into it. Uh, uh, my my own feeling is that it doesn't, Joseph, okay. because there's no, uh, you know, in terms of behavior, in terms of patterns of behavior, mm. in terms of trades between families. There's no blood component that affects behavior. All right. So what people may be referring to is the genetics. Okay. So they say it's in your blood, so it's being passed on from generation to generation. All right. Do you follow? Right, right. But I think it's a very loose term that is being used. Okay, okay. And there's nothing physically in the blood that affects the brain in terms of its behavior. Do you follow what I'm saying? I'm with you, I'm with you. So as far as I'm aware, a blood transfusion shouldn't in any way, you know? Uh, But look, you know, there have been some very interesting stories of people who've had heart transplants, for example, and making a connection with the person who whose heart they received. Whose heart they received, sometimes the supplies in case of kidneys as well. Okay. So I'm not sure, but I And would that be in behavior? Uh, the connection that you're talking about it's more i don't know you know i don't know how to describe it but ah. it's a, it's a type of attachment that they seem okay. to have you know? with a person yes yes okay. but i don't know how much reality there is in that okay but coming back to your question i don't think there's anything in the blood 
that should affect behavior yeah. potential. All right. No, I was just thinking because... No, no, uh, I think it's a fascinating question. Uh, sure. Normally they talk about, you know, sure, you've got that sure. kind of blood in But you. I think it's just a terminology. It's just that a term that we're using. Okay. Shukran, Prof. All right, let's go to our SMSs because, as I say, I've, I've prompted the people already. This one, a 57-year-old male, 70 kilograms, difficulty passing urine, bladder not completely emptied, no diabetes, have blood pressure. Okay, so those symptoms sound very typical of uh, prostatitis, and basically it means that the prostate is enlarged. The condition is usually referred to as benign prostatic hyperplasia, and because the prostate is right at the neck of the bladder, mm. you know, you, you don't void your bladder completely, sometimes you dribble. Uh, and it's very easy to diagnose. The best is to see your GP. He'll do an examination, usually via the rectum, mm. and feel the prostate. The one thing we worry about is cancer. So we normally would do a blood test. We can detect the cancer early. Right. But you still need a physical examination, and sometimes you may need the prostate to be scraped, as they call it, mm -hmm. just to clear the neck of the bladder, All inshallah. Right. People have asked already, is there no other way than to have another male actually scratching in your backside. You <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to put it so blunt, but that's how people yeah, put it. There. No, no, look, you know, unfortunately, that's where the prostate is anatomically situated. Right. And the best way to feel it is through the rectum. You won't feel it through the scrotum, you follow? Right, right. So, unfortunately, there's no shorter cut unless you're going to go for an MRI or a CT scan, which are extremely expensive. Mm, mm. But they still wouldn't give you the kind of feel that a doctor would get when he right, examines right, you locally. Right. And uh, we would, uh, I'd say, excuse the punt. With a feel, eh? <laughs> I leave it to you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let's go to our next question, next SMS, and this is the one I said I would have loved the the, the person to actually send some more details for you. But here it is. Salam alaikum. Is it normal for a five-year-old to have sweaty underarms? That's all. Okay, so look, underarms will sweat, especially if the body is warm, because sweating is a mechanism that the body uses to create uh, coolness, mm. uh, mm. and I think we have spoken about it before, you know, the principle is that uh, evaporation causes cooling. So as the sweat evaporates, it causes cooling, Right. especially if you overdress, you'll find you'll also start sweating. More often than not, it tends to be under the arms because that's the area that gets warmest. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's the area that is most likely to sweat. Okay. I don't know. We're not given any information about the circumstances. Uh, one would worry, you know, so let's just talk about what causes sweating. Right. The mechanism for sweating is related to the sympathetic nervous system. Mm -hmm which is part of the autonomic nervous system. So the autonomic nervous system has got a sympathetic and a parasympathetic component. And when you have overactivity of the sympathetic nervous system, then you become anxious, you sweat, all right, right. your heart beats faster. These are all features of the sympathetic nervous system overdrive. Right. And then people will have sweaty palms as well. Mm -hmm. So that is excessive sweating. Uh, or hyperhidrosis is the medical term that right. is used. So in those situations, sometimes, you know, you can use what we call a beta blocker because a beta blocker blocks the sympathetic nervous system. 
And in some instances, it may work. If it's a very severe problem, then we may even block the whole sympathetic nervous system by blocking it in the neck area. Uh, and we call it a sympathectomy, where we actually block the sympathetic nervous system from secreting all the substances that cause the sweating. Okay. Uh, but again, it depends on the degree and so on. Mm, okay. Mm, mm. So for the moment, we have to say, inshallah, it is normal. Right. Uh, and, you know, it may reflect that the baby is being dressed too warmly. Okay. Five-year-old, eh? Five-year-old. All right. Okay. Okay. So the young person. The young, the young, <laughs> the young child. Right. All right. Let's go to the lines. Voice of the Cape, hello. Assalamualaikum. Wa salam. Buddha, I had to describe what it was in the papier. Migraine, headaches, neck and shoulder pain, frozen shoulder, heartburn, indigestion, lower back pain, um, hitus hernia, flip disc and knee pain. This is not the description for Amodai, but it experienced Amodai. description no, that is why I um I could end up for Bell to say it's all to do with nurse, you see. Right. No, I uh doctor, the doctor family is he's in thirty six thirty six road, Salt River. No, I'm not familiar with him unfortunately. All right. I say direct alignment technique. Okay. As a as a frog for the bow that for doctor it, for professor it? Yeah, need Okay. Okay. Yeah. Look, I think you should see a, a GP first. You know, a physician, so he can examine you and see. It may be migraine. It may be sinusitis. It may be a combination of things. So one needs to spend a bit more time and examine you carefully and see if there's anything going on. All right? Inshallah. Okay. Let's go to our next uh, question here. Just before I go to the next question, do you want to say to the person that sent me an SMS, 9399, your complete question didn't come through the only part that came through was where it says shoulder right down the arm blades or the arm felt as if it was dislocated and that's all that came through so there's no actual we don't know what the question is so maybe you want to send us just the front portion then I can add the two together inshallah let's go for a break quickly Night surgery it is, and of course I am with Professor Carla, our resident doctor, here this evening. And uh, as I said, uh, we are reading your SMSs, but the one that I cannot read for Professor is the actual one that's only talking about the shoulders. I'll see later on if you did send another one, and your number, 9399. But let's go to the next one. Salam to Yusuf and doctor. I'm a female, 54 years old, weighs 86 kilograms. 
Had injection in the right knee in June. Knee troubling me now again. Pain in bone under the knee and also burning sensation in the middle toe. Okay, so, you know, I'm not sure who injected the patient, whether it was a rheumatologist or a orthopedic surgeon. Uh, it sounds as if the injection was given into the knee, so we call it an intra-articular injection, mm -hmm. which is very different from the injections that we give for fibrocytes, which is not usually in the joint itself. Uh, be that as it may, the injection obviously gave her relief, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. for what, about three months after the injection? No. And sometimes the injection needs to be repeated. Okay. The question is what the injection was given for, and sometimes the injection is given for osteoarthritis. And osteoarthritis is not a reversible condition, so all we're doing is we're treating the symptoms, Prezov. <laughs> and hopefully trying to get the patient to be more comfortable and have a better quality of life. Right, right. So we can treat the symptoms with painkillers. If those don't work, then we give an injection. Mm. And if that's not working and the patient is having great difficulty with walking, then we may need to do surgery. Right, right. And the main form of surgery is a joint replacement. Okay. There's no evidence that the so-called uh, keyhole surgery that doctors are doing, especially the orthopedic surgeons where they wash out the knee and, uh, you know, put in a pipe on one side and the other side, mm. uh, that it does anything at all for osteoarthritis and is probably as good as the injection that the patient received. And many patients who have had the so-called uh, uh, keel surgery, they call it arthroscopy, uh, will come back after three months and say, you know, the pain is coming back again. All right, all right. And so on and so okay. forth. Some patients have a longer period of relief. Right. Alhamdulillah. But it's no permanent But we relief. find the same with the injection as well. Right. You know, so the problem is that we don't fully understand what is the mechanism of the pain that right. these patients are uh, suffering from. Okay. okay. Let's go to the lines. Voice of the Cape. Hello. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. alaikum, Professor. Wa alaikum salam. I've had a bone scan a little bit more than a month ago. Why did they do the Why did they do the bone scan? I'm actually under urology at first care. Right. Prostate cancer. Okay. And there was a fear that that they might go into my Okay, 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 so, good. Uh, then I had my, I had, I had three prostatectomies already. Okay. And of course now, um, because of the severe pain I have to endure, right. they put, uh, I had a bone scan. Okay. What I need to know is I've not heard from them since. Okay, okay, is okay. That, is, that, is there any sign, is that, I suppose you're getting a warning or, or is it, I'm, so, I'm so did the urologist order the scan? Doctor, yes. And when are you due to see them again? Actually, I not heard from them, but I phoned in. No, no, but did they not give you a date to come back after you had the scan? No, sir. Okay, that's I very surprising I, I, because they would have wanted to see you again so they could see the result of the bone scan. Exactly, yes, I thought and, so too. And, you know, I think what you need to do is to phone the number that you normally phone for a booking. I think it's double five double six four zero four double five double six. Is it going to come in your, can I come in your yes, professor? I've sure. done that, and I've got a date for the signal of November. Oh, my. Okay, that's a bit far away. Far away. But what I'm trying to ascertain is why they, in turn, 
having gone to that extreme to put me under a bone scan. Yes, yes. Thing. No, no, I agree with you. I agree with you. So, it's you see, point. it's possible that they haven't uh, been alerted to this, and maybe you should uh, phone and ask to get through to the urology clinic. And yeah, you know, they you know, information over the phone either, you see. no, no, but they if you phone to the clinic, you know the days when the clinics are on. That's right. And ask for the doctor at the clinic and explain to him that you've had the bone scan because of all the pain and you would like to know the result because the pain is ongoing. And right, if it's possible, so. then they'll just call it up on the computer and they'll be able to see the result. I see. Thanks. Don't okay, so if you give them your folder number, they'll actually be able to call it up immediately on the computer and have a look at the result, inshallah. Inshallah, I mean. Okay. Inshallah. Isn't that difficult to get the, the actual results? Yeah, you see, normally, but if I see a patient at the hospital mm. and I'm worried about something and I order a test, then I'll always tell the patient, to get an appointment immediately after the test so right. that I can check the results. Of course. So, yeah, somewhere there's been a slip-up. Right. So, this patient needs to reconnect with the clinic <laughs> just to alert them, and all he needs is reassurance. Right, Bone scan was normal, nothing to worry of about. Course. Do you follow what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately... You see, if we're not seeing the patient at the clinic, it's very difficult for us to remember that we send this patient for a bone scan because half the time we don't know when the scan will actually be done. Hmm. Hmm. Do you follow? Hmm. So we need them to come a week, maybe two weeks after the scan so we can check the result and then reassure the patient, reassure ourselves as well so that we know how to take it further Hmm. and then to work out whether the pain is due to other causes rather than the spread of the cancer. And inshallah, from what it sounds like, it doesn't seem like it's the spread of the cancer to the bones. Inshallah. Uh, But I think, uh, again, one needs to spend time with these kind of patients. Right. To try and analyze what is causing the pain. You follow? Shukran. Inshallah. Let's go to the lines. Voice of the Cape, hello. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum Wa alaikum salam. Alhamdulillah yourself. We need you to speak louder for us, Kanala. I would like to know, um, this lady, she's got pains in her upper legs. It's more heavy. It feels heavy. Now, she's got a bladder that has dropped. Mm-hmm. So she is now worried, is it related to that? But mm-hmm. she's seen um, specialists mm-hmm. and they said like it could be arthritis. Yeah, so the did she see the gynae? No. So uh, did she see a urologist? I think she's gonna she's got an appointment with the gynae. Okay, the chances are that it's not due to the bladder that has dropped. Okay. And most likely it's fibrositis around the hip area. Okay, that is what... Um, okay, we did. call it a bursitis, and oftentimes a cortisone injection gives great relief, inshallah. Okay, but it's more in like in, in, in the muscle. Yeah, that's right, and that's then, exactly then, what it she is. She hasn't got back problems. Um, yeah. She's yeah. not feeling any discomfort at the back, but, yeah. um, but it you could see, be related. It's around the hip, it's not in the back, you follow? In the hip, okay. And it's got Thanks. nothing to do with the bladder. Good. Okay. All right. Okay. Waalaikum salam. All right. Uh, just want to say to the listeners, no more SMSs. I'm on 94, and that's not 94 SMSs. It's on page 94, or SMS 94, no more. If 95 comes through, I'm not taking it. 
I'm reading it, uh, or I'm not reading it, let me put it that way, because uh, we have to stop somewhere. As you know, Professor Kala, don't take overtime. And this evening I have a link up with the, the people in Makkah, so I can't uh, actually go overtime. Salam, but there's a doctor. Um, that one, yeah, 62-year-old female, 72 kilograms. Alantin, Losartan, Ferapolin, and Satin had bypass and angioplasty few years ago. My heart pounds, but not fast. It lasts for an hour or a day, three, four times a week. Also got burning pain in the left arm, in muscle, just above the elbow. It comes and goes sometimes. My arms feel lame. My arm feels lame. I was diagnosed with Prince Metal Angina. Please explain. Okay, so this is obviously a very complex case. And this person has got ischemic heart disease, right? That means that the blood supply to the heart is not adequate. That's why they did a stent. Right. And alhamdulillah, the result was very good. But now two years later, the patient is starting to experience palpitations and pain in the arm. Now, we don't know whether the pain in the arm is at the time when they have the palpitations, right. number one. Right. Number two, they describe the pain in the elbow rather than the shoulder. Mm. So, again, we're not sure. But sometimes the pain of ischemia, of a heart attack, or of angina can radiate down the left side of the arm. Right. So, if this pain is occurring at the time when you have the fast beats, then it may mean that the blood supply is not as good as it should be, number one. And number two, it may mean that an area of the heart or the myocardium has become damaged and now it's triggering an abnormal beat. Okay. And that can be very dangerous. Hmm. So this person needs to see a cardiologist. They need to do an ECG. If they don't pick up the abnormality, then they need to put on an ECG for 24 hours, what we call a halter monitor. And you wear that for 24 hours, and this monitor will pick up those episodes right, right. of the fast heartbeat. The cardiologist can analyze it, mm. work out whether it's coming from the atrium or the ventricle. And today, alhamdulillah, our cardiologists are so smart that they can actually put in a catheter, locate the area that is beating abnormally, burn it off, mm. and cure the problem, right. alhamdulillah. alhamdulillah. So there's a lot that can be done. Right. But there's also medications that can be given, like verapamil, but maybe the dose needs to be increased or mm. whatever the case is. But this you need to do together with your cardiologist, inshallah. Right, right. Shukran. Salam, uh, this is Afrikaans one, Prof. Uh, salam, 43-jarige vrouw, weeg 78 kilogram. Kan dokter verduidelik, wat is fout wanneer daar bloed in die mense slim is wanneer jy hoes, maar dit gebeur het in vroeg ochend? Okay, so whenever there's blood in the sputum, Buddha Yusuf, we mm. become very worried. And the two things that we become worried about are TB and cancer. So it's very important to actually have a chest x-ray and to get the sputum to a laboratory because in the laboratory they can find TB or they might even find the cancer cells if they're there. The x-ray will tell us if there's anything happening. Mm -hmm. Because if you're bleeding like this every morning, then it means that something is accumulating overnight and when you cough right, in the morning. Right. So I think a chest x-ray is mandatory. 
Right. And depending on what we find, inshallah, we can take it further. We need to know whether there's weight loss, whether there's mm. night sweats, whether there's other features, mm. contacts with TB, smoking. There's so many other things that we don't know. Right. But the two most important things we want to exclude are TB and cancer. And a cancer of the lung, yes. You're disappointing me this evening. Why? I'm reading the thing in Afrikaans. You speak English. Ah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> You're testing really? me. Again. No, no, I'm not. I'm You're testing Africans. me again. Okay, here's my, <laughs> <laughs> my next one. <laughs> Salam, I'm a... F- can't be. This person says, Salam, I'm a four-year-old male and was diagnosed with malignant hypertension. Okay, it's probably 40. Yeah, it must be 40. There's uh, something missing okay. here. My kidneys were affected. The day hospital now says I must be transferred back to Grutesgeer as my blood count is 159 Creed. What is meant by this and how serious is this? Okay, all right. So basically, you see, the day hospital did a blood test and they measured the so-called creatinine. Mm-hmm. And the creatinine in the blood is a good measure of how well the kidney is working. So they found a value of 159, which is not so bad, actually, you know, if you think of kidney disease. Mm. Uh, Now, we don't know whether it's 159 today and it was 88 a week or a month ago. You follow? Right. My feeling is that, and they don't even tell us when the malignant hypertension was diagnosed Mm. and how well the blood pressure control has been since that time. Do you follow what I'm saying to you? Right, right, right. Cut a long story short, but Yusuf, a creatinine of 159 is not serious. Mm. And if that patient can get the blood pressure controlled adequately, inshallah, it will remain at 159 or it may even improve. Right, 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 right. Chances are that it may steadily get worse. And chances are that you may end up on a dialysis machine needing a transplant. Mm. But nobody can tell you whether that will be in a month or six months or a year or two years down the line. Do you Mm, follow? mm. But if we can control that blood pressure adequately, inshallah, it may take ages before the patient gets to that stage. Inshallah. So, Professor, what causes uh, tinnitus? Okay, so first of all, let's explain to the listeners what tinnitus is. Tinnitus is a sensation of ringing in the ears, but Mm -hmm. And it often goes with the sensation of nausea and vomiting. And sometimes it's accompanied by a feeling of the world turning around you. We call it vertigo. So these are all features related to the base of the brain in the medulla area where all these nerves are coming out that control all these sensations Mm. that the patient is experiencing. And tinnitus is either due to a problem in the brain or sometimes a local cause. And the best thing is to see an ear, nose, and throat specialist, and they'll be able to analyze further what it is, and they may well be able to give you treatment right, for right. it, inshallah. Salam, uh, Professor, what is a frozen shoulder, and what causes it? <laughs> okay. I don't know if this person is working in a butchery, but I <laughs> <laughs> Okay, it's a term that is commonly used and it's often misused. Uh, So frozen shoulder is a situation where you have, the medical term would be an adhesive capsulitis. So the capsule of the shoulder for some reason becomes inflamed and it becomes 
uh, almost like glued together. Okay. So most of your movement becomes limited. And when we do an x-ray, we see a normal joint in terms of the bone and the cartilage. Hmm. And with time, it gradually gets better, and suddenly you've got full movement back in the shoulder. All right. So that is the frozen shoulder. It can take six months, it can take 18 months, sometimes it can take as long as three years. But in the majority of cases, function goes right back to normal. We see it in certain situations. We see it in people who have had a stroke. We sometimes see it in people who've had a heart attack. We often see it in people who have pain in the shoulder, but they neglect it, okay. and then gradually it becomes so-called frozen. But it's not actually frozen. It's just a term that we're using. Mm -hmm. uh, and then with time, it starts getting better. So essentially, a frozen shoulder is one of the reasons why you may have limitation of movement in the shoulder, but it's not due to arthritis. Right. And an operation, particularly a joint replacement, is not going to improve the situation hmm. because it's coming from the soft tissues around, around the shoulder. The right. You follow? Right. But alhamdulillah, time is a great healer. And particularly in this condition, time is the best healer. Okay. What we can do is to control the pain, especially at night and so on. But at the end of the day, the movement will come back automatically on its own. No. Now, many people have a painful shoulder, and the doctor says it's a frozen shoulder, but in fact, it may just be a supraspinatus tendonitis. Okay. And in that situation, a cortisone injection, and you'll be as good as rain yeah. within two to three thing. days. Do you follow? Yeah, right. So that's very different from a frozen shoulder. Okay. So it's very important to make the diagnosis, and clinically, we can examine the patient and make that diagnosis. Right, right, right. But it's often a misdiagnosis. So many patients are walking around with this term of frozen shoulder, mm. but they actually have not a frozen shoulder, but a tendonitis right. around the shoulder. Just a question on that, Prof. Uh, Above, um, besides the points that you've mentioned about maybe a person suffering a stroke, heart attack, whatever. Diabetes. Uh, is diabetes. Cause, yeah. uh, how about physical activity? Can it cause a uh, frozen solid? Not at all, but I so. Right. And in fact, swimming is very good, you know, to avoid all these problems with okay. the shoulder. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Uh, you sure you don't have a uh, share <laughs> in, 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 in the water company? In the water company or in the bath, the swimming bath company? <laughs> you know, I, we spoke before about yes. a city in the UK yes. that is actually called Bath. Mm. And the name came about because of all the spas that right, are in the right, city. Right. So, all the healthy people living there. Balneotherapy is the medical term, but, is right. but water therapy is actually very good. There we go. Enough. Let's take a break. Be back after this. My turn it is, and of course I have with me our resident doctor, none other than Professor Carla, and Prof will be here with us until 10 o'clock. So we've got uh, 17, 60 more minutes to go. This one, uh, Professor, reads as follows. It says, um, Salam, doctor, I suffer from severe all-round hay fever. I'm already immune to medication and injections. My nose is constantly blocked, if not runny. What else can I use or do to relieve me of this? Okay, so this is a somewhat unusual situation. 
The question is whether it is hay fever that the patient is actually suffering from. And sometimes what happens is that the turbinates of the nose become swollen, potato, mm-hmm. and that can block the nose. And then sometimes because thin strips are getting through, it feels as if the nose is running. I think the best is to visit an ENT surgeon and they can actually look into the nose and see whether the turbinates are enlarged or inflamed and then give some local treatment. And if that doesn't work, then they can surgically shave the turbinates Mm. so that the nasal passage becomes broader and your nose doesn't feel blocked. Okay. So it's very unusual to become immune to all these medications because hay fever responds very well to local cortisone treatment, you know, rhinocort oil sprays and uh, celestone injections and so on. So the chances are that it's now more of a mechanical problem rather than a inflammatory problem. Right, right, right. And then the surgeon will have to mechanically broaden the nasal Mm. passage, inshallah. Mm. Prof, can I ask you, the person uh, mentioning that the person suffers from hay fever all year round, Mm. can a person actually suffer from hay fever all year round? I'm just asking. Yeah, look, you know, it's basically what is hay fever? Hay fever is a uh, allergic uh, response usually to pollen. Mm -hmm. Now, pollen is around all year round. Right. It's just much worse in spring. But flowers are there all the time, right. they're blooming. If it's windy, pollen gets thrown around. Okay. Do you follow what I'm saying? Right, right. Sometimes the allergen is not pollen, but it may be house mite, okay. for example. Okay. Do you follow what Got I'm saying? Got nothing to do with the season. So I don't think so necessarily, right. although during spring it tends to be at its worst hmm. because that's when all the flowers are blooming. Right, right, okay? right. So, but it can certainly be a troublesome problem. Right. But in this case, I'm suggesting that maybe the problem is mechanical rather than allergic right, right, in the right. form of, uh, of hay fever. Okay. This uh, SMS, of course, uh, the number 47913. And I see Prof working his way nicely through these SMSs. So what I'll do is I'll allow two more to come through because I see I can take two more. So you can send your SMS. I'm opening up the line, the SMS line. You can send it to me if you still have a question uh, or two. You can send it to 47913 because I still have a little opening to allow Professor one or two more. Of course, that's that's my second name. (laughs) Yusuf Generous. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, So yes, Uh, or if you like to call, 021-442-3530. Professor is here. Maybe you'd like to pose a question directly to Professor, and Prof can get ask the question that Prof wants to ask of you. Whereas if you send the SMS, might be that, uh, you know, not all the information is there what uh, Prof would need. So I'm doctor. Um, a four-year-old, now I think this one must also be a 40-year-old, but uh, just listen to her. A four-year-old family member was diagnosed with periorbital cellulitis. Cellulitis. Uh, cellulite, okay, it should be cellulitis then, yeah? Mm-hmm. With her eye ever completely open up, or, oh, sorry, will her eye ever completely open up, or will this leave any scarring? Okay, so it may be a four-year-old, but okay. rather than a forty-year-old, a 40-year-old right? You know, so the question now is, why did the child get cellulitis? 
Now, you know, we've spoken about cellulitis a lot of times in the context of the leg, but mm. I assume mm. especially the lower limb, below the knee, often in diabetics, often in people who have venous problems. Right. Right. So it's very unusual to get cellulitis, and especially if it's one eye or one orbit, then mm. one is very worried mm. that there may be sinuses behind the eye that are becoming inflamed and causing the cellulitis. Okay. Do you follow what okay. I'm saying? So those are things that we need to ask. Right. Having accepted that it's cellulitis, we need to treat with antibiotics. Mm. And once the antibiotics work and the skin swelling goes down, then all the functions of the eye can come back to normal. Inshallah. But if you delay too long, then it may affect the orbit itself mm. and it may leave permanent damage. But right. the chances are that, inshallah, recovery should be full. My major concern is why did the patient develop uh, orbital or periorbital cellulitis, cellulitis in the first place? Right. Do you follow? Right. And the most common reason would be a sinus that has become infected. At the, at the back. Either at the back at the or back. on the side. You know, at the bottom right. we've got maxillary sinuses. Mm. And if those can be, become inflamed or infected, then it can spread to the orbit. Inshallah. All right, now I have got my two extras uh, that came through, so no more. <laughs> no more? This is enough. Prof, a uh, question. A person suffering from low blood... What causes low blood? Okay, but uh, you, so we've spoken about yes. this oftentimes. You know, what is low blood? Low mm. blood basically means that your blood pressure is below the normal that we would expect for normal individuals. But there's right. a wide range of normality. Right, right. Okay, so by definition, it would be a blood pressure where the systolic is below 120 and the diastolic is below 60 or 80. Mm. Now, who's walking around with a blood pressure machine all the time? So, a lot of right. times we say, I've got low blood right. for any old reason. Right. Do you right. follow? Right. And the commonest reason that we would say that is if we become dizzy. Huh. Now, there's so many reasons for dizziness. Hmm. So, the most often or the most common situation where you get low blood is in a person who's got high blood and being overtreated. Okay. Right. <laughs> That's generally right. Mm. But the other situation would be, for example, if you're in Makkah and it's very hot and you're sweating all the time, but mm. you're not rehydrating yourself, then you will develop low blood. Right, right, right. If you're bleeding from somewhere, actively bleeding, and the bleeding is not controlled, then you'll get low blood. But right. that will be your blood pressure actually becoming low, and when we put a bomanometer, then we find the low blood pressure. Do right. you follow? Right. So I think it's a term that is often overused, like right. frozen shoulder, for mm -hmm. example. Mm -hmm. Some people even use the term low blood to describe anemia. Mm. Now, we've spoken about anemia, sure. I think, on right. the last program right. that we were right. on. So it's a, it's a very non-specific, non-descript term. But I All right. Okay, right. but basically, low blood by definition is when you have a bomanometer and you measure the blood pressure, and you find it to be low. Shukran uh, Sheikh, fifty-seven-year-old male, seventy kilograms, seven zero. What does C one and C two, that's C one and C two, mass lesions expanding into spinal canal with cord compression mean? It means that you are in serious trouble, Buddha Yusuf, mm. because C1 and C2 refer to the cervical vertebrae. 
and these are the ones that are right on the top where the bra- where the skull is actually coming down onto the right. neck. Right. Do you follow? So at that area, you've got your whole medulla oblongata and all the main areas of the brain stem, mm. Mm. which control vital functions, mm. and which supply all the nerves for your arms and your legs. So it can be a very, very serious condition. The chances are that these things were all found on an MRI or right. a CT scan right. because you won't find them on a normal X-ray. Mm. And it's a very serious problem. You need to be under the care of a neurosurgeon. And the neurosurgeon needs to know what these mass lesions are because they, they're going to cause serious problems right. if not attended to very urgent. But it says already about... Uh, Expanding into spinal canal cord compression. Yes, absolutely. So it's already very compressing serious, the very cord. Serious, uh, Prof, we need to take a quick commercial break. Then when we come back, uh, two final ones for you, inshallah. My surgery it is, and of course I have with me our resident doctor, Professor Kala, and uh, the last couple of SMSs. This one, uh, firstly, Prof, uh, what causes shingles? Okay, so shingles is basically a viral infection. It's usually uh, the same as chickenpox virus, mm. but this one resides within the nerve root and... Whenever your immunity is depressed, then you may develop shingles. Right. Often affects the chest, and you find uh, one area of the of the uh, intercostal nerves that is affected. Right. Sometimes it can cause trigeminal neuralgia with severe pain in the face. But essentially, it's a virus, okay. and often you know we treat it with an antiviral agent. Uh, Salam, the doctor, sixty-year-old, uh, seventy-nine kilograms, my wrist. Left side, very painful. Any advice, Kanala? Okay, so at 79, you know... No, it's 60. 69. It's 60 yeah. and 79 okay, kilograms. 60, age 60 and yes. 79 kilograms. We don't know whether the person is left-handed or not. No. Today, so. uh. But oftentimes it's just from wear and tear, and it's often a tendonitis that affects the thumb. Patients will often complain that they have difficulty opening bottles and gripping things. Mm. So, you know, the chances are that it's that. But if it is the wrist itself, then it may be an arthritis. We don't know if the patient has previously injured the wrist or not. So, you know, one needs to look more carefully, examine the patient, and you may need an X-ray. Inshallah. Right. Uh, Going to take our last call. Inshallah. Voice of the Cape. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. But uh, Yusuf, I just want to ask uh, Professor Kala a question. Go ahead. Go ahead. Shukaran. Uh, Prof, I had a swollen prostate and I was operated about a year ago. Mm-hmm. And, well, alhamdulillah, it was quite a success. But now and again, I find, you know, that... Uh, I, how to explain you, the, the urine still flows sometimes, you know, and then you wet yourself. What what can a person do about that? Okay, so does it flow after you void it? No, sometimes, any time. You know, sometimes when you have an urge to pass urine. Right, and, and then you, the, you can't hold it until you get to the loo? Yeah, yes, yes. Are there other, other times when it's not even related to that and you and you find yourself uh, wetting yourself? Y- yes, yes, Doc. Okay. 
Yeah, look, uh, and, uh, and... And, you know, I was telling you, it's quite embarrassing also, know, you know, afterwards you start smelling and, you know, know, it goes. I know, But uh, did this happen immediately after the operation? Or no, were you no, fine no, no, and no. this is now something new that is happening? Y- yes, yes. Okay, look, I think you need to go and see your urologist again. Uh-uh. And they may need to do tests for the bladder and the sphincter around the bladder. Because it seems as if your control, you know, when you, uh, sometimes they say you, 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 you need to knape. <laughs> yes, yes, that's it, yes. So you do that using a sphincter muscle. And oh. it may be that your sphincter muscle is not working as well as it should. Yes. And yes. sometimes they can give you a medication that will actually help that muscle to work better and then you won't wet yourself so much. Yes. And tell me, Prof, if I may ask you, is, is this also to do with age and that? Uh, how old are you? Uh, 70. 70. Yeah, look, you know, but it's very unusual, uh, Buddha, mm. for, you know, even 70-year-olds not to be able to control their urine unless there is another reason for it, you know? Mm. And tell so, me the treatment that they will give you. Is it painful? No, no, so? they might be able to give you tablets, inshallah. Oh, inshallah. Okay, okay but they may need to do uh, some uh, tests uh, just to see how the blood is functioning. And the last SMS, um, Prof., my daughter, my 28-year-old daughter, was diagnosed with reactive arthritis since her dad's janaza last month. Please advise. But I think it's more likely to be reactive depression. depression eh? Because it says here arthritis. Yeah, but, you yeah. know, I mean, <laughs> the yeah. death of a father shouldn't cause an arthritis. Mm. So reactive depression, inshallah, she'll come to grips with it. Uh, you know, Allah grant us sabr, inshallah. Uh, and uh, she needs a lot of solace and uh, uh, support, inshallah. And uh, sometimes we use medication, although in most cases of reactive depression, you know, it tends to work itself out once you come to grips with the the, the loss that you've suffered. No, uh, inshallah. This is definitely the last one. Definitely. Assalamu alaikum. Uh, I'm a 70-year-old weigh 72 kilograms and diabetic type 2. In the daytime, I'm all right, but when I settle in bed to sleep, my body itch all over. And this is now for two weeks. Okay, but that's a very difficult one, really. Mm. <laughs> We've had this type of question a few times, and I'm stumped, but so maybe when you have a dermatologist in the skin doctor, yeah, in the office, uh, inshallah, inshallah, they can they can address that. Uh, it's very unusual, you know. Diabetes in its own right shouldn't cause that kind of itchy skin, mm. Mm. and we don't know whether it itches without a rash or with a rash. So we need more information, right. inshallah. Right. Inshallah, but it's a very difficult one, Bhutesh, and I'm not sure that I can explain it. Inshallah, Prof. I did say the last one, but this one, I just want to read it to you, but uh, you can uh, listen. <laughs> <It's not> like, <laughs> just listen to me, it's telling you you must listen. Assalamu alaikum, Doc. I'm on Redoc 12.5, taking one every morning, and I'm on Simvastatin at night. Must I take half an aspirin as well? I'm 66 years old. Okay, so, you know, why are you taking the simvastatin? Have you had a heart attack, yes or no? If you've had a heart attack before, then you should be on disparate. Hmm. 
And disprint is a very important tablet under those circumstances. Right. Doesn't interfere with the redac, it doesn't interfere with the simvastatin. Right. Uh, but disprint is very important if you have had a heart attack. Right. Okay. Shukran, answer given. Prof, with that, time to greet. Shukran very much for being here once again. And uh, I want to wish you and your family Eid Mubarak, you must have a wonderful day of Eid, inshallah, and a wonderful day of Qurbani, inshallah, and uh, I won't be seeing you next week, because I've given you off for next week. Alhamdulillah, (laughs) you're so kind. I know, I know, and it's only because it's Eid, (laughs) and I'm only joking. Of course, we know that next week we'll have uh, another doctor here with us, and then uh, hopefully in two weeks' time you'll be back with me. But in the meantime, let me say to you, everything of the very best, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide and protect you, inshallah, Inshallah. and always grant you that you will be of uh, help and assistance to mankind the way you've always been inshallah so until we speak again assalamu alaikum rahmatullahi wa barakatuh wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh